Good morning. That was the sermon intro. It wasn't actually a greeting, but it will work either way. But that was my son's response, which would have made more sense if it was morning or if it was on a different occasion, because it was actually at six o'clock in the evening, 6 p.m., and we were at my grandfather's funeral. And my family, uh, all of us, all eight of us were standing at the front of the church and people were coming in and, and greeting uh, the family and we were receiving guests at that time and a stranger walked up to one of my sons and said, what you say at funerals, sorry about your loss. To which my son, who was, he's, he's somewhat intelligent, he, he's very intelligent, And he's actually very, very good with words most of the time. But he was on the spot and he didn't know what to say. He'd never seen this person before. And he just looked him in the eyes and said, good morning. (laughs) To which the rest of the family looked at him as the person smiled and just acted like that made perfect sense, which to the rest of us, it didn't. And the rest of us made sure he knew that that was not a very intelligent response to sorry about your loss. Good morning. And we were up front at this funeral, uh, my grandfather's funeral, all eight of us trying not to laugh, trying to get regain composure. The reality is funerals can be really awkward. To be honest with you, funerals can be really weird at times. And it's one of the reasons why at funerals, we just kind of make things up to talk about, things that aren't true, things that aren't real, things that make things even more awkward. And some of you have heard me say this before, but one of the most awkward things said to me at a funeral is when someone walks me up to the casket and we're looking at the person who is dead and they say to me, didn't they do a good job on him? And I never know what to say. I've had someone say to me, he hasn't looked this good in years. And I would never know what to say. I'm so glad how she turned out. As if someone baked a cake or took senior pictures. I, I don't know what to say in that moment. It's an odd, weird moment. And then we just make things up at funerals to make ourselves feel better. We, we don't know these things, but we say these things. Old Jim's gone on in. I bet he's up there playing golf right now on Heaven's 18. I, I, I don't, his body is right here. I wonder how he's playing golf. And I think it's possible. I just wonder, do you really know that? Do you know that there's golf in heaven or you just made that up and you made it up and we all do it to make ourselves feel better that he's in a better place or she's looking down on us right now. There's holes in the floor of heaven. And how do you know that? Where did you get that kind of theology? CMT. (laughs) It's not in the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible does it say there's holes in the floor of heaven. But you believe that. I bet she's up there telling Jesus how to do things right now. Y'all know how she is. I also know how Jesus is. And it's highly unlikely that she's telling him how to do anything right now. 
I don't care who she is. But we make things up like that to make ourselves feel better at funerals. And we all do it on some level. But if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul is at pains to tell us, you don't have to make things up about what's to come after death. He's very clear about how this unfolds for those of us who die. He's very clear about how resurrection affects our thoughts at funeral, funerals. And the truth is actually way more fascinating than anything we could make up. The hope of the gospel is, is way more glorious than any kind of silly thing we could make up in our minds. And here in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is confronting a prevailing understanding, false understanding about death that had taken hold in the church because of Greek thought, which said, at death, the spirit is freed from the body. The body is like a cage or a prison, and at worst, it's, it's evil and it's wicked and it's no good. At best, it just doesn't mean anything. And so when you die, you're released from your body. You don't need your body anymore. And, and Paul says, as Christians, you can't think that way. And the reason you can't think that way is because at the heart of the gospel is a man who has been reunited to his body. A man who has gotten up and walked out of a first century coffin in his body. You believe the body is important. You believe the resurrection of the body is crucial to your eternity. And so you can't go around talking as if the body, your body, doesn't matter. Your resurrection is irrelevant. It's at the heart of your faith and confidence as a Christian. And in verse 12, we need to see, first of all, when it comes to resurrection, Jesus is our pattern. Notice verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? This is a part of the gospel, that Jesus came back three days later, that he re-inhabited his body, that it was resurrected, that his disciples saw him, that he taught them, that he commissioned, that he ate a meal with them, ate meals with them, visited them in homes. He is back from the dead in bodily form, so you guys can't say there is no resurrection, and the body is irrelevant. In verse 13, he says, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised from the dead. If that can't fit in your belief system, your theology, that bodies get back up and live again, then Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. Now, throughout the chapter, Paul has articulated how Jesus is our pattern in resurrection. First of all, Jesus was born and he lived a physical life in flesh. And then Jesus died. He was crucified. And when he died, his spirit was separated from his body. Now, what I personally believe during that time, during the three days his body is in the ground, I believe Jesus is in heaven offering his life to God. The writer of Hebrews talks about this. He is offering himself as a pure sacrifice in the holy of holies, in the presence of God in heaven for our sin. 
Now, other people have all kinds of other theologies there. Some people believe he went to hell. Some people believe he was just there. But I believe his spirit was separated from his body at that moment. And Jesus was still doing something, even though his body was dead. And then three days later, his spirit and body were reunited. And he got up and walked out of the tomb. And what Paul is articulating in 1 Corinthians 15 is that's the same pattern that's going to happen to you. You're going to live in this body and one day you're going to die. And when you die, your spirit will be separated from your body. And we will put your body in the ground. We will put it in a coffin. We will vault it up in the ground. And for a time, your body will wait for your spirit to re-inhabit it again. When Jesus comes, the body will be gathered up by your spirit and you will stand before Jesus. And those who have believed in him will rule and reign with him forever. And those who don't will be judged by him forever. And during that time, your body is in the ground and your spirit, where is it? Well, Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Can you play golf? I don't know. Can you go out to eat? Without your body, I don't know. Whatever it is, it'll be glorious because you will be with Jesus. But there is a reason why my great-grandmother was buried with a can of snuff. It's because we believe whatever's going on here, this body, the story's not over. There's still another chapter in the life of this physical body and those eyes you will look into again the the the, that heart will beat again those lungs will fill with with air again your spirit will re-inhabit that body in a resurrection again that will happen and we look upon that body and we take care of that body and we treasure that body because we know the story is not over Now, I don't know what Jesus is going to say about her snuff, but I believe she will be raised from the dead to rule and reign with Jesus in that body. And I will hear her voice again. And the same goes for you. That is the hope of the resurrection. So Paul says, get your theology right. Understand your body will be redeemed and raised just as Jesus was. And he says here, if there is no resurrection, that Jesus wasn't raised. And so here's the logic. Verse 14, the gospel is useless at that point. Notice he says, and if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then our preaching, our declaring the gospel is in vain. It's futile. It's empty. There's really nothing there. And your faith is in vain. The gospel that you are trusting in is useless. Because we declare to you that the gospel addresses your greatest problem, which is your sin. And sin leads to death. When Adam disobeyed God in the garden, he sinned. God removed his good rule of life. And so we experience death. Life is tainted with death because of sin. Now, we believe when Jesus died for our sin, sin is taken care of. So when he dies for sin, guess what else is taken care of? Death. And so God will reestablish his good rule of life where there is death and everywhere there is death. 
Not just where there is spiritual death, but also where there is physical death. God cursed the world with death. And He will not leave that death on the, uh, uh, on the world. He will reverse it. And Easter declares to us that that is true. That God will reverse the effects of sin, which is death. And if there is no resurrection, what Paul says is our preaching is useless. It addresses nothing. It, it addresses nothing. You may be forgiven of your sin in this life, but what use is it? It's empty. It's vain. It does you no good. No, the gospel is a cosmic promise that everywhere sin and death has touched will be erased. Everything that's bad will become untrue. That is the hope of the gospel, the physical realm. Because the spiritual realm, he dies for sin. And the gospel begins in our heart. We become a new creation. Your heart, which has rebelled against the life that is in God's word, is made new with the gospel when the spirit comes to live within you. That's why we say you have been born again. And that new birth will move from our hearts into the world. And as the prophet said, the glory of God will cover the world as the waters cover the sea. He's speaking of resurrection of all things, everything, every molecule, every speck where sin has tainted will be made new. God will not let death win in any way. And if there is no physical resurrection, then what are we doing here? If there's no physical resurrection, when you believe the gospel, God should just zap you to heaven. Because that's all that matters at that point. And everything you suffer and endure right now is useless and meaningless. No, but because there's a resurrection, because Jesus is ruling and reigning, you can walk around this world and look at chaos, sin and suffering and the pain in your own life. And you can say it will be made new. It will be made untrue. It will be redeemed. And every second that we endure, the pain of this physical world will be erased because of a coming resurrection. Just like Jesus' resurrection. But if, it's, if there's no resurrection, the gospel is useless. And Christianity is a lie. Notice verse 15. He says, if this is true, no resurrection, Jesus wasn't raised, then we have even been found misrepresenting God. Meaning, we are false witnesses. Paul says, if there's no resurrections, then we are, we are liars. We are false teachers. Why? Because we testified about God that He raised Christ from the dead. Whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. If there is no resurrection, then we have lied about what God has said. And what happens to false teachers, false prophets, is they deserve to be stoned and killed. And what Paul is saying is, if there's no resurrection, why in the world are you listening to us? We are liars. For if the dead are not raised, verse 16, not even Christ has been raised. But that is the, that is the heart of our message. Paul says, if there's no resurrection, we are kooks and we, we are discredited and we should be rejected. And the reality for you today is if there is no bodily resurrection and if Jesus is not raised from the dead, this isn't a fairy tale, this isn't a fantasy, it really, really happened. If, if you don't believe that's true, then the Bible is dangerous for you. You should not read it. 
You shouldn't care about anything it says. Because the resurrection is at the heart of the Bible. And it's not enough to say, well, the Bible teaches us how to be good people. The Bible is just kind of inspirational. It's kind of like those Buddhist quotes that you find on Pinterest and you post. They, they really, they just make, they just sound good. There's no authority behind them. And that's the same thing the Bible is, but it's even more dangerous than that. Because it's calling you to really believe this. And to live like your body will be raised from the dead. And if, if Jesus wasn't raised, it's a lie and it should not be trusted. You can't say, well, he's a really good teacher. He's very entertaining. I know he believes in resurrection, which is crazy and kooky. No, at, the, at that point, he's a liar. And you should walk away. And to be honest with you, you shouldn't listen to anything I say. Because I really believe this is true. I really believe it happened. And you shouldn't show up to hear anything else I have to say. Because I'm a liar. And I've bought into a lie. And you should find something else to believe. Who cares what the Bible says about love and kindness and being a good person? It is a lie. You should never open it up again. Christianity is a lie. And then even more, verse 17, we're still in our sins. If there's no resurrection, Jesus wasn't resurrected. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, it's empty, and you're still in your sins. And this is, this is the heart of the argument. Jesus was raised up on the third day because he was innocent. Because he was righteous. And he did not deserve to die. He was perfect. He was pure. He obeyed God in every thought, every action, every word. He was right internally, internally and he lived an inherently righteous life. He was righteous through and through. And that's why he was raised up, because he didn't deserve to die. He didn't deserve to remain dead. He was dying for your sin. He was enduring the wrath of God that you deserve. He was paying the price for your sin. And he is raised up on the third day. It is God saying to you, the payment has been paid. A pure, righteous, undefiled, sinless payment for your sin has been paid. The debt has been paid. That's what the resurrection declares to you. And so Paul says, if there is no resurrection, you're still in your sin. If Jesus hasn't raised from the dead, then he must have deserved to die. He wasn't righteous, and you still own your sin. And so you gather here today to celebrate a resurrection to say, I'm free of sin. The guilt and consequences of my sin were placed upon Jesus, but if he wasn't raised, you're still in your sin, and you're destined to hell. The worst night of your life when you made that decision... And you still live with the guilt. If Jesus wasn't raised, it's yours. Own it, it's yours. You can do nothing about it. The addiction, the alcohol, the porn, it's yours. You got to live with it. You can't do anything about it. That sin, that anger, that lust, your regrets, the way you've lived your life, wasted time. It is yours. Own it if Jesus isn't alive. Those things that haunt you. You can do nothing. 
Paul says you're hopeless in your sin if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. And there's no freedom. There's no joy there. You own those consequences. You own that guilt. If there's no resurrection, if Jesus wasn't raised, you're still in your sin. And in verse 18, the dead are gone forever. Notice he says, then those also who have fallen asleep. Christians talk about the dead being asleep because the body is sleeping. But he says, those who have died in the flesh who are asleep, even, notice this is important, even those in Christ have perished because they have no hope. They're still in their sins and there's no resurrection. And the word perish is their enduring judgment. This was all a farce. It was not true. It is empty. It is in vain. And they are facing judgment. They're still in their sins. And at best, their souls just kind of assumed into nothing. At worst, everything is still spinning out of control, headed to chaos and destruction forever. And funerals, where we stand around and we try to make things up to make it easier, are, are horrible moments with no hope. And when Paul says, we, we don't weep as those who don't have any hope, he's a liar because there is no hope if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. And all of your loved ones who have died, you will never see them again. Ever. It's over. And all of the false promises that I'll see them again. Even if they're in Christ, you will not. That's what Paul is saying. And what he's unpacking here is, do you see how miserable this would be if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead? Do you see how hopeless we would be if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead? That you can't go around flippantly talking about life and death and resurrection and not get it right. There's a lot at stake in getting resurrection right. And then he adds this in verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are all people most to be pitied. If your only hope in Jesus is to get through this life, then we should feel sorry for you. Because you're you're, you're placing a lot of restraint, a lot of inconvenience on your life for a lie. Think about all you do because you, those of you who say you're Christians here today, you say you believe this. Think about everything you do in the name of Jesus. You show up here and you serve, you give your time, you give your money, you go on mission trips, you're engaged in the lives of one another, you try to love one another, forgive one another, serve one another. And this is such a centerpiece of your life. But if it's just to get through this life, is it really worth it? Is it really worth it to have to think about this all the time and inconvenience yourself for it and impose discipline and restraint on your life and try to live a holy life and try to obey the things of God? Is it really worth it to inconvenience yourself in this way? And Christians around the world who have chosen just to be outcast, weirdos, opposed, who will suffer and die for the faith, we should feel sorry for them. Because it's not worth it if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. It's sad. And Paul would even say, if, if it's just about this life, you should eat, drink, and be merry. What he means by that is go live it up. Go live it up. And you should absolutely find something else to do on Sunday. 
If you don't really believe this is true, give your life over to something else. Recreation. Go to the lake. Stay out all night on Saturday. Sleep in on Sunday. Why would you give your life over to this if you really don't believe Jesus is back from the dead and you will be raised from the dead? If there's no resurrection, we should feel sorry for ourselves. We're the most of all people to be pitied. But we know Paul's point, right? That this isn't a lie. Those who believe it are not still in their sins. The relatives that we know who were in Christ believing the gospel, we will see again. In a million years from now, all we're going to think is, I should have inconvenienced myself more for this. No ounce of sacrifice is to be pitied. We believe that. That's why we're here today. That's why we're celebrating this. If Jesus was raised from the dead, the reverse of all of these things are true. Your worst enemies, sin and death, have been defeated. They are no more for the Christian. When you believe the gospel and you are in Christ, he sees you as Christ and he's going to raise you from the dead the way he raised Christ from the dead. Sin and death have been defeated because Jesus has been raised from the dead and your sin has been paid in full. Your worst moments of guilt, the seasons in life where you just say, I'm going to do whatever I want. Those actions where God should have just wiped you out. And he was gracious and kind. And he allowed you to repent and trust in Jesus. And covered in him, your sins have been covered and raised in him. Your sins have been paid for. And there's freedom and there's joy because of the resurrection. Today, we don't, we don't gather to celebrate Jesus in and of himself as though his sins were forgiven, as though he needed the resurrection. No, we gather here to celebrate what he has done for us. And we gather to celebrate because there is freedom and joy in him. And because Jesus is raised from the dead, your saddest moments will be reversed. Some of you in this room today no horrible, horrible tragedy. And you have to force yourself out of bed every day. Because you're, you're thinking, how could, how could life go on? How could anything good come from this world after what I have experienced? Because Jesus was raised from the dead. Those saddest moments will be reversed and redeemed in greater glory than you ever could imagine for yourself. The funerals, the waiting room, hearing the news over the phone that they're gone. Those moments will be redeemed in glory. That's why we gather here and that's why we celebrate. We will look into those eyes. We will hold those hands. We will hear those voices. The question for you today is, do you really believe this? Like, let's just shoot it straight, right? Do you actually believe in the resurrection? It's easy on a day like this to act like you believe it. This is when everybody does the Easter thing. Hashtag he is risen. 
It's easy on a day like this. But do you really believe it? Do you really believe it? That there was a man who claimed to be the Son of God. And because he claimed to be the Son of God, he was convicted of blasphemy. And he was killed by the best. The Romans were the best at execution. And God ordained that he would live in a time where the best, the best executioners would nail him to a cross. So everyone would see what a joke he was. And on that cross, as Jesus hung and died and screamed till his vocal cords began to bleed, my God, my God, why are you forsaking me? The reality in that moment is God was forsaking him so you would never have to be forsaken. Because in the moments on the cross, the wrath of God is being unleashed upon him. The judgment of God is being unleashed upon him. Judgment that you deserve for your sin. And it was unleashed upon him until he was dead. His body was dead. And that body was wrapped in 70 pounds of mummification. Linens. And placed in a borrowed tomb. And then three days later, the heart thumped in his chest. And his lungs filled with blood, with air that were once filled with blood. And his brain began to send signals throughout his body. So that his fingers began to move. And his eyelids under the cloth began to flicker. And he reached up and pulled the grave cloth off of his face. And his feet felt the stone floor of the tomb. And he got up. And he walked out of a first century coffin. And as his ambassador today, based upon his authority, I'm telling you it's true. I'm telling you it's your only hope. And I'm pleading with you in this moment to move from fairy tale to reality. And as you trust in him and as you rely upon him, I'm promising you this today based on the word of God. He will forgive you of your sins. Your worst sin will be forgiven. He will give you his righteousness. You will be covered in his righteousness and you will be accepted by God. And God, you won't have to live any longer as God's just tolerating you. No, he loves you the same way he loves Jesus. He loves you in Christ. I'm pleading with you today. This is true and this is real. And it is your only hope. Stop trying to convince yourself that you can find hope and joy somewhere else in this life. That if you just get enough of it, you'll be satisfied because you want. It is only in Christ. That is your only hope in this life. And it's the only thing to give your life over to that's going to give you meaning, it's going to give you purpose, is Jesus Christ back from the dead. 
And we gather here and it's not just story time for Jesus. It's reality and it invades our life and it changes everything. It changes the way that that we love one another. It changes the way that we parent. It changes the way that we see our future. It changes the way that we use our money. It changes the way that we use our time. Why? Because it's not a fairy tale. It's not a lie. It's real and it's true. And we celebrate it. He's back from the dead and he'll come again. So what else can you say? Well, because of Easter, maybe good morning makes sense at funerals.